Hello, it's November 2nd, which means it's time for your daily spinner rack. I'm Dan from the Comic Book Pit coming at you. And today's random episode from my collection is The Green Hornet from Now Comics, November 1989. I swear this is not... (laughs) This is just a coincidence. I know yesterday's book was published in November as well just a different year but this was uh from like i said now comics the now defunct now comics this was a a number one issue cover price 295 which for that for 1989 was almost triple what comics were going for at the time the average marvel comic was going for a dollar dc comics going from anywhere from 75 cents to a dollar. So for an indie publisher to come out with a with a almost $3 comic at the time was uh, pretty ballsy, I think. The comic itself is 52 pages, and it's got an amazing painted cover by comic legend Jim Steranko, which was actually the whole reason why I think I picked up this book in the first place from whatever quarter bin or dollar bin I found it in. Uh, it's just a it's a great Stranko cover, and there I'll, I'll post a a picture of it so you can see if you're a fan of Stranko, this is a a great one to have in your collection. So yeah, it does say on the cover, double sized, premier collector's edition. I don't know about any of that, but it's definitely double sized. It's um, and I I didn't really read realized that when I started reading it, I'm kind of getting about halfway through this book and I'm thinking, man, this really, I've been reading this for a while. (laughs) So as far as the credits go, we've got script by Ron Fortier, pencils by Jeff Butler, inks by David Mowry, not, and not only colors, painted colors by Suzanne uh, Dechnik, letters by Dan Necrosis, and the editor for this book was Catherine Llewellyn. And I thought it was interesting that there's an art director credited as well, Michelle Mock, and the uh, editor-in-chief at Now Comics, and I believe he was the publisher, uh, owner, was uh, Tony Caputo. I don't know if any of these people are still in comics. I don't recognize any of those names. Going through this book, this was not a bad issue. I actually, my instinct was to not not have a lot of high hopes for it because I'm kind of, I guess I'm a stereotypical Marvel DC guy. I approach indie comics with a little bit of trepidation. I definitely would not have picked this up back in the day. I really didn't start reading indie comics probably until the late eighties, probably more into the early nineties, actually. Uh, the green Hornet probably didn't appeal to me either because you know, the green Hornet's an old timey pulp, character. Again, that was not a property or a character that really screamed out to me. Although these days I'm I'm definitely much more into those types of characters and those types of stories than I than I you know, I am I'm I'm more into that now than I was when I was a kid. And this issue well it, it's kind of all over the place. It's 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 an origin story. Like the first let's see, probably at least the first Three or four pages are just the origin story of Britt Reed, who is the Green Hornet of the 
30s and 40s, which is when this book takes place. And I believe that was also the Green Hornet of... When, when the Green Hornet was on the radio, that's when it took place. This issue starts with an old Brit Reed who's years past being the Green Hornet. This, I think, the, it takes place... It, it starts in the 50s, and he's sitting in his study writing his memoirs and thinking about his ancestors, his his grandfather's career as a Texas Ranger. I, I don't know a ton about, about the Green Hornet. I mean, I know a little bit, but the Green Hornet is supposed to be a direct descendant of the Lone Ranger. Although, because those are two different properties, I think that's not exactly canon. But that's where Britt Reed apparently got the inspiration to first don his hat and mask and coat and become the Green Hornet. But he, he goes on to describe you know, his, his life, his father's education in journalism, and how he founded the, the city newspaper, the, the Daily Sentinel, which got young Brit into wanting to be a newspaper man. And then on a trip to the Far East with his parents, that's where he met and actually saved the life of Cato. I honestly never knew that Cato had a first name. It's actually Econo Cato. You know, he felt this like life debt to Britt Reed, which is how he returned to the United States with him and became his manservant slash eventually became his sidekick Cato. Uh, when they returned to the States, the increasing criminal activity ultimately led Britt and Akano to become the Green Hornet and Cato. Britt tried to fight the criminal element with his with his words, with the newspaper, but the, the criminal element was winning out. And, and this is the part that I always found odd, and I'm not sure. It's kind of interesting. It's different, I guess, for for a typical vigilante story, but the Green Hornet, he was not a quote-unquote hero. His whole identity was wrapped up in pretending to be a criminal in order to take down criminals. I'm not sure how, why they did that, because in, in this issue, I mean, you see him working with the police anyways, even though the police in general still view him as a criminal the commissioner well you know first he says well yes he you know he's a criminal but we're making a special deal with him this time to help us with this case but it turns out that the the commissioner actually knows green hornet's secret identity he calls him by name you know he, i guess you know i'm not exactly sure why the whole additional ruse of the Green Hornet being a criminal, you know, did it really help his mission, his fight against the larger criminal element? Because the criminals, it's not like the criminals welcomed him with open arms. It was like criminals against criminals. You know, the criminals didn't like the Green Hornet, and the cops didn't like the Green Hornet. So I'm not exactly sure what the intent was in making the Green Hornet supposed to be a criminal, even though he was secretly going after criminals. I don't know. Anyway, so this issue is also titled My Last Case, which is kind of interesting for a first issue because it he essentially in the first issue, you know, after after this big bust, 
the Green Hornet retires, and he dedicates himself to marrying his longtime girlfriend and reconnecting with his family. His brother just came back from the war. Um, he's got two nephews. His parents are still alive. You know, it, and so it, it's it's this whole, like I said, reconnection with his family and rededicating himself to his personal relationships. Kato announces his intent to return to Japan. You know, he feels that he's his work is done. Meanwhile, the big crime boss in the city discovers he has terminal lung cancer and has mere months to live. And so he's he's going to go out with a bang. And boy, does he! It, this was really surprising. I and it was it was really this was a really good story. I mean, it, it was very cinematic. Essentially, his gang knocks over a a U.S. Army armory, loads up a truck with explosives and weapons and ammunition, and literally attacks the city. I mean, they, they systematically start shooting up uh, police stations. I mean, they gun down cops right in front of the precinct. They go to City Hall, a guy pulls out a bazooka, use big garbage trucks to, they, they crush cop cars, and, I mean, they're just, this guy's just not going down quietly. Part of their uh, systematic attack is not only against the law enforcement element, but the, but the newspaper element. I guess the Sentinel has been a thorn in the crime boss's side for years, and they know that that Britt Reed is the publisher and that his, and they know who his girlfriend is. His girlfriend was his secretary who then eventually became his girlfriend. You know, while they, they kidnap her and, and the, the, the city is just, it's in flames. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's, there's just smoke everywhere. This from a, there's a panel, the long view of the, the city and it just looks like it's a war zone. Britt Reed finds out, you know, obviously he finds out what's going what's going on, he finds out of his girlfriend and he he essentially has to come out of retirement, you know, to save his, the woman he loves and so he and Cato do just that. They they fight their way up to the to the roof of this building where the the big boss is holding uh Ruth hostage, his girlfriend, and there's, you know, a big fight of course. In the struggle, the boss, you know, tears off Green Hornet's mask and sees that it's actually Britt Reed that he's he's fighting. You know, he at first he was like when when the Green Hornet shows up, he's like, Oh, this is great, two birds with one stone. I get to kill you and Britt Reed. Not realizing at the time that they were the same person, but then subsequently realizing that it was him. And right after he realizes that he gets <laughs> Brett Reed throws him off the roof to his death. And that was pretty much the end of the the issue. And there's a there's a text piece. There's about a three and a half page follow up. It's all text. It says memoirs continued, and it talks about the the fallout from the attack and the destruction by the crime boss, and you know what happened from that point forward with with all the all the players. It alluded to at the end one of Britt Reed's nephews, who is uh, his, who's also named Britt, would also would carry eventually carry on the the uh, 
the title or the, the name of Green Hornet. I've only read this issue, so I, I don't know what happens in subsequent issues specifically, but I did do a little bit of digging, and it looks like this book went about 13 or 14 issues, and it really was like a multi-generational story. It wasn't linear, which is kind of interesting, which is a kind of a bold move for the time to tell a story that every issue told a story of a different Green Hornet or or the next Green Hornet. I mean, I don't think there were so many Green Hornets, but, but again, it, it, it turned out to be more of a multi-generational epic. So it was kind of interesting. This, uh, like, like I said, I, I, I really didn't expect much from this story, but it was really good. The art was serviceable. It wasn't bad, let me put it that way, but it wasn't very, it was just very plain. Very, not very exciting, very standard angles. Like I said, just not not super exciting. It did it, it did look good, and from you know from the point of view that it definitely looked like it was of the time from the you know in the late 30s, early 40s. The cars looked right, uh, the clothes, the buildings. You know, everyone was wearing overcoats and fedoras and double-breasted pinstripe suits, and it, it looked like it was well researched as far as as far as the look of the book, but like I said, the the art was just um, just meh. Just uh, it, like I said, it, it it did the job. It it told the story. It just um, wasn't very exciting. And I don't know. Like I said, I, I don't know any of these creators. I don't know if they're still working in the industry or if they you know worked in. I mean, I mean this book was almost thirty years ago, or a little over thirty years ago. So. But anyway, like I said, this was a a good story. Uh, it's, it's a good one and done in a way. Great cover again. The classic uh, Jim Steranko, you know, the the legendary Jim Steranko cover. Good addition to to a collection if you know for for that alone. Um, it's definitely frameable. <laughs> so that's all I have for this episode of the Daily Spinner Rack. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.